You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Just two months ago, police put out a warning to steer clear of 19-year-old Verinder Paul Gill, a young man with gang ties and a target on his back. And their prediction came true last night when Gill was gunned down in a brazen shooting in a busy shopping complex. Jill Bennett joins us now with more on what happened. And Jill, this is why police warned the public, but thankfully no innocent victims here. Exactly, Sophie. And police are saying that in itself is a miracle. The tape is down now, but the investigation is still very active. This after those bullets rang out in this parking lot, killing one man at one of the busiest times of the day. Around 9 p.m. Wednesday, several 911 calls were made to RCMP after multiple shots in the parking lot of the Mission Junction Mall. The target, this vehicle, with a 19-year-old well-known to police inside. When police arrived, they found a man with gunshot wounds who was pronounced dead at scene. This man has, been, has now been identified as 19-year-old Verinder Paul Gill. Gill was the subject of a warning in August. Abbotsford police took the unusual step of publicly releasing his photo and saying anyone associated with Gill, including other gangsters, could be in danger. We know that gang shootings happen in public, and if Mr. Gill is in public, we believe that the public is at risk when he is around. Gill was not alone in the vehicle when he was shot and killed, but no one else was hurt. That's nothing short of a miracle, according to police. This was a brazen shooting in a busy shopping complex. And those responsible showed, showed no regard for the safety of the community. It's very, it's very fortunate that nobody was hurt other than our victim. Well, I have never seen anything like this. Like I said, this is a great place to come to the mall. It's very family oriented. You know, everyone loves to go to the movies, you know, even little kids, right? So it's, it's shocking. Yeah. It's horrifying, actually. A few hours after the shooting, this burnt out SUV was found nearby in Abbotsford. Police say it is linked to the murder. As they continue the investigation, they are urging anyone with information about the shooting to contact them. All right, Jill, what do we know about any possible suspects or whether arrests have been made? We know, Sophie, that one person was arrested, believed to be the other person in that vehicle uh, with Verinder Paul Gill. Uh, but at this point, police are stressing that was for questioning to get more information. There have been no charges laid at this point, and they are still looking for suspects. They're also asking for anybody who was in the parking lot or in this area before 9 p.m. If they saw anyone that looked suspicious or out of place to contact police, they're looking for that information as they continue searching for suspects. Sophie? Jill Bennett in Mission. Jill, thank you. And in some late-breaking news, yet another homicide in the Fraser Valley. Police say they were called to the 46,000 block of Yale Road after getting a call about shots fired. Officers found one person suffering from gunshot wounds. The victim was rushed to hospital but was pronounced dead there. The integrated homicide investigation team has been called in and police say this was not a random act. IHIT is also investigating the suspicious death of a 19-year-old Richmond woman. RCMP called to a home in the 7,000 block of Westminster Highway just after midnight. Investigators now identify the victim as Aspen Pallet. A man was arrested a short time later. He remains in police custody. If you have any information, you're asked to contact IHIT or Crime Stoppers. 
And more breaking news for you now. The chair of the Justice Institute of B.C. has stepped down, effective immediately. Robert Croker's resignation comes after the watchdog group Integrity B.C. called into question whether he was the right person for the job. Croker was head of compliance at Great Canadian Gaming Corporation, which ran the River Rock Casino while money laundering was taking place. He's since moved to corporate security and compliance with the B.C. Lottery Corporation. In a statement, Croker says he took the decision to step down from the Institute in order to remove the possibility that students, staff and the work of J.I.B.C. may experience further disruption. A four-alarm fire in downtown Vancouver this morning broke out in the Washington Court apartment complex in the 900 block of Thurlow at Nelson at around 9 a.m. One firefighter and several residents were taken to hospital with non-life-threatening injuries. We are told as many as 10 suites are unsafe to occupy at this time. Uh, fourth floor, there was black smoke on the fourth floor. We don't know, we still don't know, so we're hoping everybody's okay in the building because there's a couple of dogs that are still stuck in there. A furry. You know, 17 years in the building, this was a first. Never thought I'd go through this. The age of the building and the various renovations that have taken place over the years to this building have made it extremely stubborn and hard to uh, contain all the fire. Now, the cause of the fire is not yet known. Thankfully, no one was seriously injured and all pets are now accounted for. New revelations tonight in the trial of a man accused of killing a Japanese student. William Schneider stands accused in the death of Natsumi Kogawa in Vancouver nearly two years ago. Today, court heard audio evidence of investigators interviewing Schneider in the weeks following her death. Nadia Stewart was in court to hear that exchange. Court heard from Sergeant Ryan Smith back in 2016. He was a detective and the lead investigator in this case. The recording played Thursday was of a suspect interview between Schneider and two investigators, one of them, Sergeant Smith. Twice during the interview, Smith asks the accused, William Snyder, a suggestive question. Why? Why Netsumi? There was no why, was Mr. Schneider's response on both occasions. The officer then reminds Schneider whatever is said to them can be used against him in court. Then there's this exchange. Smith, how did she die? Schneider, I actually don't know if she died, if her heart went or if it was her breath. Officer, mm. Schneider, I don't know actually wasn't certain that she passed when she, at the moment she did. It was five minutes later. I stepped out or gone out of tent for a smoke and then, oh my God, I don't think she was at the time. I don't think so. Court also heard oral and vaginal swabs were taken of Ms. Kagawa. No male DNA was found in that analysis. Defense also questioned Sergeant Smith, focusing on the interview, raising questions about why it was not recorded on video, particularly since Sergeant Smith described some hand gestures Snyder made during the interview. A friend of Natsumi and a family member were wiping away tears while the recording was played. Eventually, they left the courtroom. The trial continues tomorrow with testimony from a pathologist. Back to you. Tough to hear, I'm sure. Thanks, Nadia. Vancouver police are searching for additional victims in a string of indecent acts. In July, the VPD arrested a man who had allegedly been exposing himself to young women throughout the city. Between July 6th and 18th, the VPD began receiving reports of a man driving a pickup truck, approaching teen girls and young women, and drawing their attention to the inside of the vehicle. Analysis of the suspect's cell phone revealed approximately 30 additional incidents uh, that have not yet been reported to police. 
The footage shows an additional 60 unidentified young women who were tricked into seeing this guy masturbate. 28-year-old Trevor John Kurjata of Vancouver has been charged with five counts of committing an indecent act in a public place and one count of exposing genitals to a person under the age of 16. And sexual assault charges against a former church elder and current bus driver has prompted Surrey RCMP to make an appeal for victims to come forward. 72-year-old Brian Batke has been working as a Coast Mountain bus driver for the past 13 years and was an elder at the Cloverdale Christian Fellowship Church. Batke is now charged with one count of sexual assault and one count of sexual exploitation. Police believe there may be more victims. TransLink says Batke has been placed on administrative leave pending the outcome of the case. Concerns are being raised tonight about a crosswalk near a senior's home in Surrey where a woman died earlier this week, struck in a hit and run. Aaron MacArthur has more on this crossing and why some say they're not surprised someone was killed. Aaron. No, no, not surprised at all. It's just they didn't know it was going to be someone they loved who died here. And now residents along this stretch of 138th Street are demanding something be done before someone else dies. Henry Gillick can't believe his friend is gone. They were crossing 138th Street Monday night when a car came out of nowhere. Yeah, she just got past them and this person, whatever, whoever it was, yeah, just hit her broadside. Sharon Mitchell was thrown 10 meters to the curb where she lay dying. Michael Sinclair arrived just a few minutes afterwards and began CPR, but it was too late. Mitchell died a short time afterwards. To have not even slowed down and just kept going, that's really quite disgusting. Residents in the seniors complex where Sharon lived have been asking for changes for years to the crosswalk and intersection, saying it's too dangerous. With the speed of traffic that comes through here, there needs to be something that slows them down. RCMP are investigating this hit and run, but so far not releasing a vehicle description instead urging the driver to do the right thing. So if you are the driver of the vehicle that was involved in this incident, we would ask you to come forward. It's not easy to come forward, particularly um, now that some time has gone by, but we are here. Uh, we would like to speak to you to find out, you know, your version of what's happened. The city of Surrey will improve lighting on 138th Street this year and plans to upgrade the crosswalk. But because it's so close to the train tracks, it will require negotiation with Southern Rail. Residents want to see those upgrades before anyone else is killed. People come around that corner so quickly and drive past here so quickly, it will happen again. It really will. Surrey RCMP still asking for witnesses to come forward. Anybody who was here on 138th Street at about 8.45 Monday night asked to give them a call and help catch a hit and run driver. Sophie, Chris. Aaron MacArthur, thank you. A shocking discovery for a Saanich homeowner. Without his knowledge or permission, homeless campers who had been living in Goldstream Provincial Park are now living on his property. Kylie Stanton now on how they ended up there and what happens now. Nine, ten. The campers associated with Tent City have always said they're strength in numbers. 13, 14, 
15 from here, I think more in the back. Now 20 of them have moved on to Sam Sira's 1.4 acre property on West Saanich Road. All apparently invited by mayoral candidate David Shabib, who lives there with his son. I didn't believe it. When Sira was made aware of their arrangement, he tried to intervene, calling police, bylaw, even lawyers. I thought I could just get him for trespassing, but it doesn't look like that right now. Apparently they have more rights than I do. This is the latest in a string of locations the roaming tent city has decided to call home. It started back in May here in Regina Park, growing to more than 300 campers. After being evicted, they settled for a two-week stay at Goldstream Provincial Campground. As of Tuesday, all of the remaining campers had been offered shelter, but they claim it didn't meet their needs. Two beds beside each other is still not adequate for me and my husband because we lay together. And so they accepted Shabib's invitation instead. Why would any of us not take someone up on that offer with our own thinking that this was goodwill, good faith? Shabib could not be reached for comment today. He left town as soon as the campers arrived. Lots of food here. Leaving Sira with only one course of action, evicting the campers through the Residential Tenancy Act, a process that could take up to a month. But his biggest concern is what could happen in the meantime, in terms of damage and cleanup costs. There is no precedence for this. Uh, if it happened to me, it can happen to anybody. And so late Thursday, he decided to set a precedent of his own, meeting with Brett to try and come up with a solution. I said, let's work on this together. Once again, they're asking the provincial government to come to the table to provide land in the greater Victoria region, allowing people to stay 24 hours a day. Let's put an end to that. Let's find a proper place. Both parties have yet to agree on a deadline. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. Well, the province is facing some serious doubts that it will be ready for the legalization of marijuana on October 17th. B.C. will only have one store selling cannabis to start and an online shop. Keith Baldry joins us now with more on this. Keith, producers, retailers, just about everybody uh, <laughs> experiencing some challenges leading up to this date. Yeah, it's going to be a rough start, I think, Chris. Uh, talking to Mike Farmer, Solicitor General today, Minister responsible for cannabis, he says, look, uh, the, some of the major suppliers are having trouble meeting their quotas, but basically there's going to be enough cannabis to go around to meet the demand, with the exception of some high-end strains, as he calls it. Not all the pot's going to be ready to go uh, be distributed on October 17th, but enough to go around. Here's the minister. Some of the varieties may not have as much as had initially been anticipated, but there's going to be a lot of, of, uh, a lot of supply. But more importantly, we will continue to have, and we will still have, the largest variety uh, of, of product of any province in the country. So when he says the largest variety, certainly correct. 80 different strains will be available at some point once the system's up and running. The website expected to go live as well on October 17th. That's where uh, online purchases can be made. But when I talked to Mr. Farmer today, he pointed out there have been website crashes in other domains and other industries, but he's got his fingers crossed this one will go off without a hitch. Let's see if it goes smoothly. Okay, thanks, Keith. Right. A powerful speech in the legislature this morning by NDP North Vancouver Lonsdale MLA Bowen Ma. Ma voicing her support for the Me Too movement and for Dr. Christine Blasey Ford and her allegations involving U.S. Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh. How many of us watch Dr. Ford in quiet or vocal admiration, grateful for a boundless courage that fills the vacuum of our own silence in a time where so many women have come forward only to be dismissed.
Now, I've been very, very fortunate to be a part of a legislature where I have such strong female colleagues around me and a positive, respectful workplace. But that didn't happen by itself. Many, many women, um, legislators and otherwise, have had to find the courage to stand up for what they believe is an acceptable place and an acceptable uh, world for their daughters and their, and their children to grow up in. And we have posted Ma's entire speech on our website, globalnews.ca slash BC. Just go to the homepage and click on Video Hub. Right now, though, a NewsHour follow-up to our report last night about a Burnaby woman who says her cab ride turned into a nightmare. Tonight, we are hearing from the cab driver who was involved in a dispute that ended with a woman and her friends surrounded by taxis and the police called in. Sarah McDonald reports. The footage alone is jarring without context and even with it, it's reigniting the long-standing battle between the province's taxi industry There's another one. and the customers who depend on it. To be surrounded by seven other men and be intimidated was completely terrifying. But this likely isn't what anyone would consider a safe ride don't home. Come, no, don't come near me. Don't come near me. That woman behind the camera is Julie Wozni, a Burnaby-based realtor who was never delivered home by her cab driver last weekend after a dispute over his Three choice of route. Why are you not driving me home? Sorry, why are you not driving me home? Escalated to this. The driver stopping with both sides calling police. The incident ultimately involving up to eight other taxi drivers and the Vancouver police. Yeah, call the police. Taxi drivers have been assaulted. Bus drivers have been assaulted. And uh, they're there to support each other and to be witnesses. And that is exactly what Yellow Cab says is happening in that video, calling it company protocol to send any available drivers to any situation warranting police involvement, saying the driver in this case feared for his safety. Now that driver himself, who has asked not to be named, is also speaking out, telling Global News a very different story. They are three, and I'm the one. I walk out of the car, that's why, because I'm not feeling safe. He says that is when company dispatch called police at the same time his passengers did. I'm, a, I'm literally going to call 911. Those colleagues arriving before officers, long-standing company protocol. The first priority of all these drivers is to make sure that the driver is okay, they're safe. The issue was eventually settled once Wozni paid a reduced fare, but the money itself was never the issue. All the issues in society right now with women feeling uncomfortable and coming forward, that we're entitled to say that we're uncomfortable and to come forward. The province's latest controversy over cabs evolving into No, don't come near me. Sarah McDonald, Global News. An historic and very popular corner of downtown Vancouver is about to change, although the good news is the Heritage Building is going to stay. The Vancouver-based hospitality group Pacific Reach announcing the building at Granville and Nelson, currently housing Doolin's Irish Pub, Belmont Bar and Comfort Inn, will be redeveloped into a boutique hotel. Since it was built in 1912, the building has housed the Hotel Belmont, the Babalu Restaurant, Champagne Charlie's and The Cellar. The current building will close November 1st. The developer promises the hotel will include a new entertainment and dining experience when it opens next year. A lot of history on that corner. Mm -hmm. The mother of a child with special needs says she found herself in the middle of an insurance nightmare after her son had a meltdown and damaged their home. As Catherine Urquhart reports, she was covered for the damage, but then dropped by her insurance company until Global News got involved. My um, TV was all 
split apart and damaged. Um, the bookcases were damaged. Angela says the damage to her North Shore home totaled about $4,500 after her son with autism had a serious meltdown. He had damaged um, a lot of things, a lot of items. Her insurance company so, of 20 years offered to cover the costs as she'd only had one minor previous claim. Then Westland Insurance started questioning her about her child's health. And this week, they announced they were dumping her as a client. That I had 30 days to find new insurance, and they would be sending me a letter, a registered letter in the mail. Do you remember specifically what you were asked in regards to your son and his autism? Um, just asked what I was doing to ensure that this wouldn't happen again. Has this happened before? The incident deeply concerning to Disability Alliance BC. Certainly. Um, it, it, it looks really troubling. Um, we're concerned that uh, there could be discriminatory aspects to this decision. Westland Insurance initially agreed to an interview with Global News. Then they backed out and contacted Angela. Basically, he told me I would not be cancelled, but we would have to discuss further about uh, mitigating the circumstances that led up to the claim. This mom of two is relieved her insurance isn't cancelled, but she questions how she'll be treated in the future and worries how insurance companies treat others with disabilities. It's a little bit outrageous that there's um, that they actually look at what conditions your children may or may not have and that's going to um, determine whether or not you're insurable or not insurable for your house contents. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Turning to the upcoming civic election now and the issue that is far and away number one with voters in Vancouver. Global's Sonia Diol talked to both experts and voters about the stubborn issue of affordable housing, which might be further complicated by the huge list of candidates. It's time to make space for new leaders. After 10 years of being in charge, Mayor Gregor Robertson leaving the door wide open at City Hall. The biggest issue on the minds of Vancouverites going into this civic election, the cost of living here. People are looking for solutions, whether they're homeowners, whether they're trying to be a homeowner or whether they're a renter. A recent poll backing up that view with affordability ranking way higher than second place Kinder Morgan, bike claims the issue Vancouverites are least concerned about. But the view's great too. You know. With the real estate market going into a frenzy between 2015 and 2017, the city's steadily becoming more and more unaffordable to live in. I'm a physician and even with um, my salary, we're looking at options of potentially moving somewhere else. Huge issue. I mean, I, I would like to see a pro-development mayor come in. But I can't imagine any of the current candidates solving the problem. The challenge facing many voters right now, though, is knowing who to believe in. There's 21 mayoralty candidates, 71 council candidates. It's really hard to uh, get a handle on solutions when there's so many people in the race. I really don't know who I'm going to vote for at this point. But as columnist Patsy Backus explains, fixing Vancouver's housing crisis is more than just who to choose on October the 20th. Whoever becomes mayor of Vancouver is going to face possibly a very mixed city council to work with. Uh, they won't be assured of having a full council support behind them as, as mayor, as, as Gregor Robertson has had in the past. Uh, so that's going to be a tough one, uh, just bringing the council together to work on initiatives to address housing affordability. Mayor Robertson's parting gift to Vancouverites struggling with affordability, allowing duplexes in almost every part of the city. It remains to be seen if that's actually going to make any difference and how a new mayor and incoming council will build on it. Sonia Diol, Global News. 
Well, to see what the Vancouver mayoral candidates say about affordable housing, go to our website, globalnews.ca slash bc. More than 300 people arrested today in Washington, D.C. as protesters incensed over the Brett Kavanaugh Supreme Court controversy stormed the office buildings of the U.S. Senate. Republicans have signaled that a new FBI report looking into allegations that Kavanaugh sexually assaulted a former classmate clears the way for his nomination. The report is not being made public and Democrats and other critics say the investigation was too limited and is being misrepresented by the Republicans. Sportswear giant Nike says tonight it's deeply concerned about new allegations against one of its most famous promotional stars. That follows the filing of a lawsuit by a woman who claims she was raped by soccer superstar Cristiano Ronaldo in Las Vegas in 2009. Ronaldo adamantly denies the accusation, but he has been left off Portugal's national team for a pair of upcoming matches while an investigation takes place. In Health Matters tonight, a warning from the B.C. Centre for Disease Control for anyone who likes to forage for mushrooms. As Linda Aylesworth reports, the CDC says the mushroom that killed a three-year-old boy last year is now more widespread than ever. Mushrooms, mushrooms, where are ye? It isn't hard to find mushrooms in Vancouver, especially after a good rain. Called the Enerold Paxillus, and it's a very common mushroom. Interesting, but not what we're looking for along this shady southeast Vancouver street. We are, however, getting closer. It's related, but it is only mildly poisonous. Mild isn't going to cut it. We're looking for the most poisonous mushroom in the world, and there it is. Ah, now, here we have a death cat mushroom. Paul Kruger is a mycologist, a mushroom expert, uniquely qualified to differentiate between delicious and deadly species. A membranous sac, and that's a diagnostic feature that allows us to distinguish it from many other mushrooms. His skill is becoming increasingly handy because the range of death cat mushrooms is expanding throughout Metro Vancouver and Vancouver Island. Oh, that's a far more beautiful one. At the BC Drug and Poison Information Centre, calls about mushroom exposures recently spiked. Now that it started raining, we had a total of 29 calls for the months of September, much more than we had um, previous to that. The fear that people will mistake the innocuous looking death cap for edible species. Ingesting a single mushroom can be deadly. So what do you do if you find one? If you do see a death cap, uh, you can remove the mushroom and you can put it in the municipal compost. Otherwise, just put it in the regular garbage. You can also help the province track their growing range. Just log on to the BC Centre for Disease Control's death cap page and click on the link to the Invasive Species Work Group to learn more. And if you have any health-related concerns, poison control is available 24-7. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. All right, let's check in with uh, meteorologist Christy Gordon with a look at that forecast and mm-hmm. a really cool picture. Wow. I had to start with this. This is from Rob in Cowichan Valley. He's got a farm uh, with corn on it. He says, great harvesting weather right now. But this guy climbing an eight-foot fence. Can you imagine trying to balance on that? Wow. Incredible. Cirque du Soleil. Yeah, you should try out. That's right, Cirque du Soleil. Uh, But bears are hungry right now. They're really trying to fatten up for the winter, so make sure you're... um Uh, you know, covering up your garbage and making sure that we're not uh, inviting them into our area. But great shot. Thanks, Rob, for sharing that one. Incredible. All right. 
It was beautiful today, wasn't it? Crisp fall day. It was cold to start with, I'll give you that, but it turned out uh, very nicely. We warmed up to 14 degrees. 40, sorry, 39 records broken yesterday across the province. Today, 12. These are unofficial numbers, but Burns Lake down to minus, close to minus 12. Bella Coola minus 2. And Vancouver in the downtown uh, harbor station at 4 degrees. Now, tonight we're dropping down to 6 degrees. It won't be that cold, but still unseasonably chilly for this time of year. Uh, this is the clear sky that we're seeing right now, but we've got this little guy that's just going to skirt the coast, the south coast, that is. And our models are differing in terms of the outcome. A lot a lot of them are pointing to the fact that we will see uh, rain, clouds certainly, and a chance of rain across our region. But some of them are showing no rain, just the west coast of Vancouver Island. I'm leaning towards the former uh, outcome in that I have put in a chance of showers into our forecast, but I'm really keeping my fingers crossed that that shifts south. Uh, across the north, sunshine and cold again, but not as cold as what you have seen. Just a chance of showers in the southeastern corner. Otherwise, uh, nice conditions and starting to warm up a little bit, but there's that chance of rain that I was mentioning with mainly cloudy skies. Saturday is looking nice, though. It's towards our turkey day that we have a chance of showers back in the mix. Look at that turkey. All right, great time of year for photos. I have to show you two tonight. Renee sending us this one with the gold colors from Prince George and the red of the cranberry harvest wow. from Jason in Richmond. And the container is adding a lot of yeah. color as well. Thanks, well, A little Christy. hot rod action in there too. Love it. Thanks very much, Christy. Well, police in Bedford, Texas had their work cut out for them after a mask bandit got into their station. A raccoon fell through the ceiling into the station, sparking a very long police chase. Officers armed with nets flushed out the suspect out of its hiding places and chased it through the halls. Finally, they managed to capture it. All told they it. get it? Oh, they did. No, not there. You can see how frustrated she is, too. It took nine hours to capture this guy. Wow. That, uh... Nine hours, and then they released it in a nearby park. Now, some amazing video out of China showing a group of boys rescuing their dog from the death grip of a boa constrictor. The footage shows the giant snake wrapped around the dog, which is whimpering but not struggling. The boys pelt the snake with sticks and large leaves and then finally work up the courage to grab the snake and try to pry it off. The boa struggles to hold on to the dog, but the boys do finally manage to free their pet. The dog appears to be okay. No word on what happened to the snake. Oh, It's crazy, right? Crazy. It's also crazy someone filmed it and someone else added a soundtrack. <laughs> added a soundtrack. <laughs> going that is, that on there was an orchestra from, nearby. That was, a, that was a Chinese broadcaster, apparently, that first uh, put that on the air. So Very dramatic. <laughs> we should start adding music to our newscast. Bandwagon! Yay! <laughs> let's get on it! <laughs> one game! Yeah, the road is fine one. right now. It's not bumpy at all. You won't fall off. We have a perfect record so far. Yes. Who knew? Um, although the Canucks did win their opening game last year, and I think the year before that. They've got a good record on opening games. but If it was a one-game season, they'd be huge. <laughs> uh, here are some important numbers from last night's win by the Canucks. 24, 23, 22, 22, and 19. Those are the ages of the goal scorers. It's not likely the Canucks will score five that often this season. Averaging three a game is hard to do. But maybe this was a game that was kind of like looking into a crystal ball. We saw some of the Canucks' future, and a big part of that future is Elias Pettersson. Elias Pettersson, in shoots, scores! His 
The Canucks couldn't have scripted it any better. Elias Pettersson fires a laser for his first NHL goal in his first NHL game on his first NHL shot. The great ones have a flair for the dramatic, and Pettersson delivered in a moment he will never forget. It was amazing. Uh, everybody in team congratulate me, uh, including coaches. Uh, and then if, I didn't uh, expect uh, standing ovation from the crowd, so yeah, that was, that was amazing. Pedersen wasn't done. He also set up Nikolai Goldobin with a fantastic no-look pass. What a debut for the Swedish teenager. One goal, one assist with his parents in the stands and with the promise of more thrills to come for the Canucks' hopeful fan base. And he wasn't the only young gun to produce. Brendan Leipzig was the oldest player to score last night. He's 24. Youth was definitely served on night one. You know, young guys want to feel good, especially at the start of the season. Uh, guys that have been in the league for a little while understand that it doesn't have to happen game one, two, so, you know, sometimes it doesn't happen right away. And I think with young guys, they press for sure to score. And, and uh, to see, you know, five young guys get goals tonight, is it's nice to see. Plenty of positives, but the Canucks did get outshot 17-6 in the third and needed a big game from Jacob Markstrom to preserve the win. We turned the puck over a few too many times tonight especially the second half, but you're never going to complain about a win, but we're definitely, you know, we're going to go over every game and continue to teach these guys. Well, this is a heck of a game tonight. Sidney Crosby against Alex Ovechkin and the Capitals. 2-1 Capitals win. Jay Gensel scores. Right place, right time, 2-2. Ovechkin scored last night. A little tip in there. Gets another one. One more look. They were ahead, then the Penguins went up 6-4, to four, and watch the passing here. Kessel starts it. Yep, 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 goal. But Washington scored two quick ones by Oshie. It's now 6-6 in the third period. Whitecaps teenager Alfonso Davies, number one on the MLS's list of the top 22 under 22 years of age, but of course... He won't be in MLS much longer. He'll be in Bayern Munich by January. Vancouver plays in Toronto this Saturday. Speaking of a Vancouver team against a Toronto team, uh, the Lions went from a three-game win streak to the embarrassment of a 40-10 loss against Hamilton last Saturday. This Saturday, they're home to the Argonauts. How do they get their heads back together? Just guys taking the time to look themselves in the mirror and, and not point the finger and figure out what we all individually need to do to make this team better and uh, you know hopefully uh, we figured it out because it, it'll be a tough one this, this Saturday. And they gotta win it. There you go. To well, this rock legend in Vancouver. Yeah, and we're not talking about Squire. <laughs> yeah, thank you. He re- you really are a historian when it comes to music. You re- well, you have uh, a- Andrew Lou Goldham He's a giant and he walks among us. Yeah. He lives part-time um, in South Surrey, in, in British Columbia, and he lives part-time in Colombia. Wow. But well, we had a chance to catch up with him. Um, if you are a rock historian, you'll know who he is. If not, you'll know who he is after this story. <laughs> Andrew Lou Goldham wasn't just part of the scene during the 60s in swinging London. He helped create it. A publicist with the Beatles, he became manager and producer of the Rolling Stones, after seeing them perform at a club in 1963. Brian Jones was put on this earth to um, start the Rolling Stones. 
and I was put here to uncover them, but given the bonus that I, I got a ticket that last, has lasted a little longer. Andrew was just do it long before Nike did it. That's how he met Bob Dylan in London, a meeting that propelled him into the music industry. Well, in those days, you just go downstairs and you find out which room he's in and you knock on the door. That was the first time that I was kind of in the room with magic. That I knew that this is, I, I wanted to be in this game. And he learned how to play the game quickly, convincing the Stones that they had to stop playing cover tunes and write their own material. I mean, if Mick Jagger can write postcards from the road to his girlfriend or his mother, and Keith Richards can play three chords, they can write songs. Um, and I was right. He was also right to watch and learn from his friend Brian Epstein, who managed the Beatles, a man whose importance in music history isn't celebrated enough. He's that important that if it wasn't for him, we wouldn't be sitting here having this conversation. Because he got um, the Beatles their recording contract against all odds. Nobody wanted them. They had been turned down. But his ambition was on behalf of the Beatles. He had, he had seen them, they had changed his life, and he was determined to get um, a recording contract. And because he did, we're here now. Simple as that. Determination is also part of Andrew's success. But he's also a believer in fate. I mean, there are no accidents. It was fate that led to the Beatles helping the Stones get a hit song in 1963. We got the song from John and Paul of I Want to Be Your Man for the second single. I was in a rehearsal room in the basement of Great Newport Street off Leicester Square. It was going terribly. You have to know when to leave the room. We had nothing to record. I left the basement of this uh, jazz club we were rehearsing in, and I turned right, and I ran into John and Paul getting out of a taxi, slightly tipsy, therefore clairvoyant, and they could say to me straight away, what's wrong, Andy? showed. I said, I haven't got a song. Well, they were great hustlers, and they had a song, okay? But what would have happened if I turned left? He stopped working with the Stones in 67. He has owned his own record label. He's worked with other musicians. He's become an author. He's a podcaster. He's done it all. But there is one thing he won't do. Retire. Basically, um, which I've been guilty of the, the, the wrong version of this, but to be trying to be interested as opposed to interesting. There's something in every day if you look for it or if you're open for it. You know. Interested. Interested instead of interested. Yeah. What yes. a character. Yeah, I mean, he, he will happily talk about the past, but he doesn't want to live in it. Constantly moving forward. Always moving forward. Right. There is a ton of material in that <laughs> interview that we did not get on there. You have to promise to do a recut or just... Put, put the raw stuff the, out there. i got to put it on our website or yeah. something yeah, we'll because there is so Work much. And if, if you enjoyed him, he's written three books on sort of the history of the 60s and himself and the people he admired, and he's got another one coming out as well. Cool. How are you can listen to his podcast? What's right. his podcast called? No, that's a good question. Okay. I should have yeah. that. Just Andrew, <laughs> Luke, Oldham, and you'll find it. Yeah. More info coming up on our web soon. We'll have to talk to those people about that too. Thanks for watching, everybody. Have a good night, all.